Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Biblical Question. We are excited you've taken time out of your day to listen to our podcast. For more information about us, you may visit our website at biblicalquestion.com. We will tell you the web address again at the show's end. We encourage you to open your Bible and follow along as we study the Bible. Now here is your host, Joseph. Well, hello there, and I do thank you for downloading this podcast. Hope and pray all is well with you and your family. As we begin this fall season, most of us just celebrated Labor Day here a short time ago, and I hope and pray that uh, God is truly blessing you as we uh, change seasons in this part of the world. I ask also that you pray for me and this ministry as we struggle to continue each and every day to uh, bring on good ideas, remain faithful to the Lord, and to glorify His name. Today we're going to talk about heaven and hell, a subject that's uh, not very popular in our society, and I realize that. And I always find it kind of interesting uh, how certain titles and topics, uh, I can get thousands of listeners on one that's about love and happy and ooey-gooey, uh, we start talking about hell and brimstone and fire and those things, and people don't want to hear that, not even in the church. It, but it is a subject that is in the Bible. I believe if the church would stand up more and have these types of discussions, uh, perhaps we would have a different world around us. And so I would encourage you to please, please open a Bible if you can and have one. You can always get a free one or listen to it free on the internet as you follow along. I know many listeners uh, live in countries where Bibles are hard to come by, they're very expensive, or they're illegal to own. So uh, people in the church in the Western world don't realize how well God has really blessed them. I'm not saying everybody thinks that way, but as a whole, it makes me wonder. So I want to have a reading here. I've talked about this parable uh, many times uh, before. Uh, I use the word parable lightly. I really uh, have pondered very hard and leaned very strong. This is an actual event. Either way you look at it, it's okay with me. I don't know necessarily that it's a salvation issue because it doesn't change the point of what Christ is trying to say. And so, I'm going to begin reading Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, I'll be reading out of the New American Standard, starting in verse 19, and I will read to the end of the chapter. Now, there was a rich man, and he had a habit of dressing in purple and fine linen, linen, excuse me, joyously living in splendor Every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming to lick his sores. Now, the poor man died and was carried away by, an, by the angels to the Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died. And was buried. Verse 23. In Hades he lifted up his eyes. 
being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. Verse 26. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed. Your version might say gulf. So that those who wish to come over here from there can are unable, and that no one may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if somebody rises from the dead. So, I think we can get out of this uh, event that Jesus talks about here. Some of this could be a real reflection on America. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well as we go through this podcast today. And so we have lots of rich and we have lots of poor and a little fewer and fewer uh, terms like middle class in this country. And, and I would say probably worldwide, there's just this great divide that's coming. And so, again, in this, in this story here, this parable that uh, the rich man and Lazarus, and each receiving this foretaste of their life to come at the resurrection. And if you notice here, uh, the rich man is still giving orders to send Lazarus, let Lazarus go. And he even seems to be arguing with Abraham about the whole situation, that the very one he wanted to help from uh, hasn't changed. He's not. doesn't even seem to really... Uh, have a soft heart yet. So in the gospel, it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into a subject which Jesus speaks of more than any other figure in the Bible, uh, and that's heaven and hell. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about in the podcast today. There are excellent contemporary articles on the subject that, uh, for the writings across the different uh, eras and times of the church. But this idea that God is an angry figure who, who sends those he condemns to a place called hell, uh, where they spend eternity in torment, separated from his presence, is, is missing from the Bible 
and unknown really to the very early church. While heaven and hell are decidedly real, uh, they, they are experiences rather perhaps than physical places. And both exist in the presence of God. And that is something that most people have never heard, and I get that. The fact is, nothing exists outside the presence of God. If anything can exist outside of the presence of God, we are talking about a finite God, not the biblical God. This is not the way of traditional Western Christianity, whether it's Catholic, Protestant, or anything else. In the Western, uh, throughout hell, is it, a location, uh, a place where God punishes the wicked, where they are cut off from God in the kingdom of heaven. Yet this concept occurs really nowhere in the Bible, really. Uh, it does not exist in the original language. I'll put it that way. And so I'm going to have to challenge you to go learn some Greek and do some word studies. While there is no question that according to Scripture, there is this torment, a, a gnashing of teeth for the wicked and, and the glorification for the righteousness. And that, that is the judgment that comes from God. These may not really be separate destinations. It's just the afterlife. We're going to go into some details here in a minute. I don't want to spoil all this. The Bible really does indicate that everyone comes before God in the next life. And it's because of being in God's presence that they either are suffering eternally or experiencing uh, eternal joy. In other words, both the joy of heaven and the torment of judgment is caused by being in eternity in the presence of the Almighty, the perfect and unchanging God. This is really not a new interpretation or a secret truth. It's been there all along. It was held by the church from the beginning uh, at the revealed languages of the scriptures, which was spoken by the Christians in the very first century. This understanding was held by nearly all Christians everywhere, everywhere, everywhere for the first thousand years of the church's existence. And except where influenced by Western theologies continue to be held by Christians beyond the Western Europe and America, even up to this day. The history of the word hell is also revealing. The, the old English word from which hell comes from is Helen, H-E-L-A-N which means to hide or covered, and it is a verb. So at one time, the English uh, church understood to be judged as sinner meant one would cower and would want to hide in fear when God is present. Unfortunately, because of the political clouds uh, controlling uh, an often rebellious population, 
We don't, uh, I'm on a joke here, we don't see that. I mean, we see it all the time. Come on, really. We have corrupt rules in the West, uh, corrupt clergy, and, and in, in conclusion, they come up with this non-biblical yet fantasy novels such as uh, Dante's Infernal, and, you know, there's this corrupted uh, use of this word, really, uh, during the Middle Ages. Eventually, they turn this verb into a popular noun usage. And if theology is going to change from the Bible, it, it's, it's a false teaching. Hell is the translation for a group of different words in the in the Bible. So let me try to give you those, and maybe that will help us kind of speed things up. The first one is Hades, or, or Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. Uh, this is just simply the abode of the dead. There's another one, the term uh, Tartus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. And it's only found once in the whole Bible, and that is in Second Peter chapter two, verse four, where it seems to be more this idea or synonym of the abyss, as we saw uh, in Luke chapter eight. Do not send us to the abyss, where Jesus is throwing the demons uh, into the the swine, and they go down the hill and they drown. Okay. Gehenna, again in the Gospels of Jesus, uh, the word Gehenna is used 11 times. It is described uh, the opposite to life in the promise of the coming kingdom. You can look at that in Mark chapter 9 in Matthew chapter 23. And here's one that Jesus observes. Uh, you serpents, you, you brood of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of Gehenna? Okay, that's really kind of what it says in the original language. The word Gehenna is also found in the epistle of James, chapter 3, verse 6, where it is said to set the tongue on fire. So, in Revelation, chapter 20, it states that death and Hades gave up their dead, and death and Hades are placed in the lake of fire when God reclaims the world. If, if one is in Hades, we're judged, uh, and they're going to be tormented for eternity far from the Lord, as you may think, why would these same ones be released from Hades when God returns? Excuse me. So the fact of the matter is it because all who have died reside in death in Hades. And until that moment when death in Hades can no longer exist because God is present, the lake of fire and brimstone into which death in Hades is placed. In the Greek, it would be uh, grammatically correct to translate as the lake of fire or even the lake of divine fire. Excuse me. And when death in Hades is placed into this fiery presence of God in the, in the lake of divine fire, 
it is destroyed because it is in the very presence of God. Death cannot exist where God is present. It is interesting to examine the Greek word for divine. It is from the Greek theon. T-H-E-I-O-N. Which also means divine being. It also means sulfur. Or in the old English, brimstone. Literally, burning stone. So, as strange as this sounds to all of us, it is because of the ancient understanding of the cosmic order and the nature of things. All people and cultures uh, from the Near East to the West understood that there were four elements. Earth, air, fire, and water. Their nature was that of earth, and water uh, tended to go down toward Hades, and air and fire tended to go up toward heaven. This could plainly be seen when the heavenly fire, uh, lightning, it would have hit a tree and burn, you know, the life out of it. Anyone could see that the heat from the tree would go back to heaven and the fire and the ash remained would go down to the ground. But there was also a mystery of yellowish earth substance that behaved very differently. And when placed in a fire, it burned so brightly that your eyes could really not really bear to look at it. And as it burned, it released the heavenly substance that was trapped inside, and it would rise back to heaven. And according to the ancients, clearly this burning stone contained a divine substance, such as, uh, they, they just simply called it divinity. And it was burned within the new temple to purify it before consecration of this burning stone released this divinity. It, it caused all evil things to flee from the temple, that type of idea. And, and thus the temple was, was ready for worship. Yet the word theon is translated as brimstone or sulfur in Luke chapter 17, Revelation chapter 9, 14, 20, and 21, which is where the fire and brimstone come out of heaven. It is equally interchangeable with the words divine fire. Since this did not fit the translation's preconceived ideas, it is rendered always as brimstone in this context. At least you think that maybe I'm making all this stuff up, but I would honestly give you the challenge to go find this word and, and, and read what the true definition is. The, the president and the founder of the Pittsburgh Bible Institute, 1931, uh, in his book, Hell, Eternity, or the Will of God's Plan, it states this, the word theon, translated brimstone, exact same word, which means divine. Okay, so 
I would challenge you to go look at some of this stuff. Elsewhere in Revelation, it states that, that the heat that comes out of heaven and burns the enemies of God, yet does not harm the ones with God's seal on their foreheads. So the same heat, the heat that is very, that very life and light that comes from God, burns the sinners, but does not harm that those who that God loves, okay, and who love God. Think about this. Uh, in Daniel chapter 3, we have a group of boys, you know, that uh, refuse to worship the idol in Babylon. And, and they're thrown in by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar into a fiery furnace, which is heated seven times more. The significance of seven is, is a number that's the symbolic of this furnace of heaven the place where God dwells. The three Jewish uh, boys, they, they are unharmed by this fire where one, like the Son of God, was among them. However, the same, the exact same flames of fire will kill the king's mighty soldiers. And this is this a analogy in, in how the presence of God in his light and warmth to those who love him, and the pain and destruction to those who oppose him, but yet it's the same fire. For the Jews and the early Christians, even Shoal was not separated from God, but translating directly from the Greek and the Septuagint, you can read in Psalm 139 verse 7, says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I flee, I will go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to Hades, there is your presence. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike. So again, in many places, God's presence and appearances as described as fire in the New Testament, as well as in the Old Typical is this verse where uh, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize you with fire. The writer of, of Hebrews writes that God is a consuming fire. The Apostle Paul writes also that God is like the, the jeweler who burns the gold in a fire to purify it. Jesus himself states that he brings fire to earth that is a divine fire. Everywhere in the New Testament, when humans come face to face with the transfigured Jesus, they cannot look at him. I mean, look. Peter, James, and John on Mount Tabor, and Paul on the road to Damascus. Humans hide their face and they fall down in fear and trembling when confronted with Jesus as the Almighty God. The Old Testament figures, they did the same thing. But now, in the New Testament, it is revealed by this holy fire. It's presence when Jesus reveals his nature. And this is because Jesus is the incarnate 
God of the Old Testament. And when the fire we are encountering was known, this magnificent glory of God to Israel, the first of Christ's divinity. Totally absent from the scriptures is any hint that the demons are, are tormenting sinners. This again comes from this, this pagan idea and concept. It's not from the Bible. Because any sinning angels in the presence of God are also in torment, and their power is, is really made ineffective. So the church fathers, here, here's here just a little bit. Uh, I, I, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm going to spell it. I-G-N-A-T-I-U-S. He's from Antioch in 106 AD, okay? And he describes God as the furnace, that craftsman that uses uh, to use a temper a sword. And when properly prepared sword is placed within the fire, it, it is made stronger, and the sword takes on the properties of the fire. It gives off heat and light, but it will melt and destroy the sword if not properly prepared. Isaac of uh, the 6th century, he's from Syria, and he writes... Paradise is the love of God. And he also writes, Those who are punished in Gehenna are scourged by the scourge of love, so that the fire is the love of God. And we experience his love as either divine love or as a painful scourge. Here's another one from the 4th century. Uh, Basil the Great. Three, uh, he points out, three children thrown into the fiery furnace were unharmed by the fire, yet the same fire burned and killed the servants at the entrance of the furnace. According to Gregory, the theologian, he, God himself is the paradise and punishment for man, and since each man tastes God's energies and according to the conditions of his soul. Uh, Gregory would go uh, further, and he advises that the next life will be light for those mind who is purified in the proportion to the degree of their purity, and darkness to those who have blinded their ruling mind in proportion to their blindness. Uh, another person by the name of Simon uh, the translator, he goes on and he says, Thou who art a fire-consuming and unworthy, consume me not, O my Creator, by rather pass through all my body parts, into all my joints and veins in my heart. Burn thou the thorns of my transgression, cleanse my soul, and hollow thou thoughts. And he goes on and on that from me every evil deed and passion may flee from the fire. So here's some views, the Western European type views of, of hell. The Western ideas has its roots in, in 
Augustine's theology, uh, who was really influenced by a, a Greek pagan uh, philosopher. But unfortunately, Augustine could not read Greek, and he had his own device and his own thoughts on theology, and and he really had some very uh, imperfect Latin translations. Uh, late in his life, he would recant his earlier writings, and, and as an act, he was virtually, it, this has virtually been ignored in the West, even today. Uh, Martin Luther and Calvin, they, they again, they would develop their own theologies from Augustine's very early writings, and they ignore his uh, later retraction to say, hey, I, I wrote and said those things in ignorance. How many, is, how many of us are guilty of that? I'd be saying stuff or not developing a deep study and thought. Uh, you know, I think we've all been there if we would uh, be honest with ourselves. So, again, many uh, others will contend that the Western God, who both claims to be loved, but would also condemn us to eternal punishment, um, this idea of an abusive groom who who claims to love his bride but cannot stop punishing her. Presumably at the time of death, we, we lose this ability to change, and since our condition uh, is, is locked in, we're being caught either into being pure, unrepented, in front of an unchanging presence of God, which will also being taught that this will happen at the apocalypse. And this idea of, of changing in purgatory, and the, it just, there's just a lot of weird things that are being taught that really not, it's not all the God of the Bible. It's really Zeus, to be honest about it, the Greek gods. And um, this cruel uh, idea of a God and need of healing, uh, people uh, can be healed in the afterworld and after they go through so much torment and whatnot. You know, it, it's just it's just lacking biblical evidence. There is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is the God of all of us. There is not a separation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is the same God, is my point. And we need to see the differences and understand between the, the false teaching, the misunderstandings, the lack of biblical knowledge. People don't want to know what the Greek says. They don't go back and they read. I mean, I quoted you some things from the first century. We're only talking 100 years out uh, from the church's conception. We're 2,000 years away from that conception, and so much political garbage uh, by politicians, and whether it's Washington, London, Paris, I don't care. 
Israel, Jerusalem, they, they have injected their false ideologies to make people happy, to get them to continue to attend so they can collect their money. Uh, I mean, look what's going on in the denominational world today. So many people just want to get along. And it's okay to want to get along, but at what cost? And we want to know why the world is in the position that it is in. We want to know why people, I mean, I hear it all the time around me at work. How did America get to be so terrible? Well, we have exchanged the truth for a lie. And I really believe that we're seeing the wrath of God being revealed. So, here is something, uh, this is really probably the first podcast I've really quoted a lot of people outside of the Bible, and I'm trying to do it for a reason. I mean, yes, I studied all these people, I I read the Church Fathers' uh, writings, and, and it's been a long time since I've studied them in depth. But I, I think it's important to see a little bit of the church history and how we got where we are. Why was the Apocrypha, as I talked to last week, why was it in the Bible at one time? Why is it not in the Bible today? Uh, there's lots of reasons. Some of them may be very legitimate. Some of them, people are just accepting the word uh, of the previous generation who accepted the previous generation and never really researched it out before you know it, uh, this misconception became gospel. Here is a man. uh, He lived around 344 AD, 407 AD. It's where most of his writings are. His name is John, and I can't pronounce the last name, so I'll spell it. C-H-R-Y-S-O-S-T-O-M, Christosom. But he says this, Let us clothe ourselves with spiritual fire. Let us gird ourselves with its flame. No man who bears the flame for those who meet him, be it wild beasts, be it man, be it snares, So as long as he's armed with fire, all things stand out of his way. All things retire. The flame cannot be endured. It consumes all. With the fire, let us clothe ourselves up to glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom the Father, together with the Holy Spirit, be the glory, my honor, now and forever and ever unto the age of ages. Amen. Glory be to God. That's what I say each and every podcast. May Christ have the glory. May you always be edified. I really went over a little longer than I normally do. I, I realize that. And I would encourage you to try to take time to go back and research some of these church fathers that I that I named, I spelled them for you so that you could look them up because I probably would slaughter their names 
Um, since I've never really heard anybody else really pronounce them in years. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I've really had any studies from people trying to teach me, sitting in Bible classes, Sunday morning classes, when somebody else is teaching, ever quote church fathers back in the first and second century. Although, quote somebody in 1960, they'll quote their famous or popular, most favorable uh, teacher when they went through seminary or preaching school or whatever. But there's no history to their statements. I'm not saying their statements are bad or wrong because I don't know them all, haven't heard them all. But I'm trying to look at the history of what led up to Christ. Why did the uh, people think and act and talk and smell like they did in the first century? Why did they have political views the way they did? You know, Roman history uh, gives us a, a clear idea. Uh, whether we realize it or not, those who claim to be Protestant, they have more Catholic and Orthodox influences than they realize. Uh, they surely will shun and criticize those groups. But they don't realize that a lot of the songs that they sing <laughs> come from way back, uh, even prior to Martin Luther in Germany and whatnot. So, again, it, I think it's honestly just important to know the history of the church, the best of our abilities, this Greek words, uh, what did they really mean? How were they interpreted early on? How much political influence, if any, has made on the Word of God, and it shouldn't have been preached a certain way. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure it all out, but I certainly hope and pray each time before I, I record a podcast that the Holy Spirit is guiding this to people who really need it, want to hear it, want to grow. I want to thank you for listening. I certainly do appreciate it. Um, I get excited when I catch on. There's new listeners, um, new countries uh, that are, are listening. And I think we pretty much have had almost every uh, country in the world except uh, mainland China now. So... I want to thank you again for listening. May God bless you, and may He have the glory. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure to hit the like button and follow us on your podcasting app. Please check out our website at biblicalquestion.com. All one word, all lowercase. In addition, we have a prayer request page, a way of contacting us, a statement of faith, and other resources for our listeners. Do you have a Bible question you would like answered on a future podcast? or prayer request. We would be honored to hear from you and add your prayer request to our list so others may pray for you. Subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on our social media accounts. Again, that is biblicalquestion.com. Thank you and may he have the glory.